I'm your host, Kurt Sandig, and welcome to Paranormal Almanac. That's right, I am your host, Kurt Sandvig, and on this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac, I'm going to be doing a companion piece with another podcast. You may remember that my first guest ever on this podcast was Mickey Gallier, and he hosts his own podcast called Video Vampires with his co-host, Jess. Well, this week, I got to be a guest on Video Vampires, and we watched a movie called The Entity. I don't want to spoil too much because I want you guys to listen to the Video Vampires episode about this movie, but it's a really great, really divided review of the movie over on Video Vampire. So please make sure you listen to that podcast because, like I said, it's a companion piece to this edition. So once again, it's called Video Vampires, and it's on iTunes and Stitchers and pretty much everywhere you want a podcast to be. So let's get into it. And by it, I mean a tiny, grayish-colored house in Culver City, California, which was the site of one of the most violent and terrifying hauntings in America's history. On par with the Amityville Horror supposed hauntings, this house and what happened in it was so scary a film was based on its events. And that movie, once again, is called The Entity. Now, whether or not you believe what happened in The Entity... You have to admit it's a very compelling, very different kind of haunting. So let's go back to the beginning. On August 22, 1974, researchers Carrie Gaynor and Barry Taff were giving a lecture at a local bookstore on paranormal research by a woman named Doris Bither. She was about 30 years old who lived in a small Culver City house with her family. Bither had overheard the men talking about the paranormal activity that they investigated So she got up the nerve and went to them. She told them that she lived in a haunted house and it piqued their interest. In a follow-up interview with investigators, she told them that the ghost or something had been banging on the walls. She heard strange voices as if from nowhere in the house. Her and her family had seen mysterious lights. Things were being moved and thrown around. And if that wasn't enough, she had one more detail to tell them. Something terrifying. Doris Bither claims to have been brutally beaten and even savagely raped by an extremely violent, invisible entity. You heard that right. Doris would be held down by two invisible ghosts, and sadly, she was raped repeatedly by a third. And this wasn't just once. This was repeatedly. It seemed to be getting more and more aggressive and more and more violent with each sexual assault. At first, Taft and Gaynor didn't believe Doris, telling her it was probably just sleep paralysis. Even with the bruises and marks on Doris's thighs and other attack wounds, these two men kept trying to convince her that there was a logical, rational explanation for what was happening to her. And sleep paralysis is probably as close as you can get to a logical, rational explanation for what she was experiencing. As we know from previous editions, Dopamine goes into your system when you dream. That, with a combination of sleep paralysis, can make you experience things that are 
otherworldly and possibly even something as horrific as being raped by an invisible entity. However, though, both Taff and Gaynor quickly changed their minds when family members who witnessed Doris being thrown through the air like a rag doll came forward with what they saw. In fact, all four children claimed to have seen apparitions, the most prominent of which they nicknamed Mr. Who's It? In one instance, Doris's own son attempted to intervene when he heard screaming and he attempted to stop the invisible raping that was happening to his own mother. He too was thrown across the room and actually breaking his arm. When Taff and Gaynor performed the first investigation to the house, they noticed that the house lights flickered occasionally, but didn't expect what would happen next. While they were doing their first interview with Doris's teenage son in the kitchen, the cabinet doors were flung open, pots and pans fell violently without anyone touching them, and it wasn't that they were just falling off the shelves, they were being thrown across the kitchen. Everyone there became suddenly aware of some kind of presence in the bedroom. They could smell something, they could feel something, they could hear something in the bedroom. And even though this was in the 70s, they were on an investigation, so they had Polaroid cameras with them. They immediately ran into the bedroom and started taking picture after picture after picture of what they were seeing. But sadly, though, the pictures refused to develop properly, instead producing sheets of white fuzz and nothing else. Fearing for her safety, Doris was immediately removed from the house, and to the astonishment of the investigators, the bizarre phenomena disappeared. And pictures taken with that very camera and the exact same film functioned normally. This leads me to believe that it's a poltergeist, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with poltergeist, but one of the leading theories about poltergeist is that they're usually attached to an adolescent girl. While uncertain, many researchers believe the cause of poltergeist activity is the adolescent girl. Because of the changes that girls are going through at that time, some seem to manifest these extrasensory powers. And it's not actually a poltergeist, it's the girl herself unwillingly doing these things. Now, obviously, Doris is no teenager. Once again, I said she was in her 30s. But the negativity in her own personal life, including physical and sexual abuse and alcoholism that some said she was suffering from, might be enough to manifest these horrific events. Now, others to this day say it was nothing more than post-traumatic stress disorder or some kind of psychological breakdown that Doris was suffering. But, according to witnesses, they saw things happen in the house that can't be explained away with PTSD. The investigation lasted 10 weeks, during which Doris described horrific encounters with numerous beings, one being a kind of huge humanoid, which she referred to as the Entity and two smaller beings that accompanied it and helped hold her down during the attacks. Now, Doris says that she knew that these two smaller ghosts that held her down were Asian men, though how she knew that is not clear at all. I have researched this over and over again, and there is no way to know that they were Asian men, but she said she knew that they were, so I wanted to make sure I put that in there. In perhaps the most famous report, more than 30 researchers were present as Doris attempted to summon the spirits into her bedroom. These two researchers that she initially contacted felt a little overwhelmed and wanted more witnesses and more researchers on site. So they had 30 people in her house while she attempted to summon the spirits in her bedroom. 
They were all equipped with cameras and recorders and video cameras. When Doris, in my opinion, foolishly, she began to curse and yell at the spirits. Now, these are spirits that have already proven that they can hold her down and rape her, toss people around like ragdolls, and trash rooms in her house. Yet, she confronted them. Foolishly or bravely, she did it, and to the shock of everyone, strange lights began to appear around the room. All around the room. All 30-plus witnesses saw these strange lights. As if that wasn't odd enough, a greenish fog began to form in the corner. It was swirling, and it was growing rapidly. Within seconds, the shape of a man's upper torso began to manifest through the fog. Many witnesses claimed it was a male entity, very big and very muscular, but without a face. One researcher even fainted after seeing this phenomena. Now, with all that recording equipment, surely we have actual recorded proof of this, right? Well, like 99% of the time, the recording cameras, the video recorders, the tape recorders all failed and only managed to capture the image of what appears to be, I don't know, an arc of light floating in the middle of the room above Doris. Now, it's still interesting to look at, and I'll add it to the Facebook and the Instagram pages about this episode, but it's hardly a man's upper torso shaped out of a green fog. Again, it is an interesting photo. I don't know what to make of it. And like I said, it has, the photo is a black and white photo of 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, maybe 11 investigators sitting or standing around Doris, who's sitting on her bed. She's got something up to her head, or she's holding her head, or something like that. It's Her head's off to the side, as if looking at the wall or the window. And then right over her is this, almost like a white eraser mark from left to right, in an arch over her head, like a rainbow arch. Now you can see through it, you can see the investigators through it, you can see the window through it. So like I said, I really don't know what to make of this photo. It's very interesting, it's very neat looking, but if you just showed me this photo with no story, no proof, no anything, if you just showed me this photo and said, do you think this is proof of a ghost? I would immediately say, no, it's a stupid photo, get rid of it. It's a light flare, it's something. So it's not enough for me to say that it's an entity at all. But anyhow, back to the story. The only suggestion the paranormal investigators could give the Bither family was to just move, get out of the house, and leave immediately. Which, again, is odd because they know that the entity seems to be connected to Doris and not the house. When she left, things went back to normal. So I don't understand that that's the best they could tell her is, get out of town. It's going to be attached to her. It's going to follow her. And unfortunately, the entities did follow her. The attacks did not disappear, and Doris continued being brutally assaulted by invisible entities. Eventually, Doris Bither disappeared with her family because she was kind of shying away from the limelight gained by the release of the book and especially the film written about her experiences. However, in recent times, some of the children have confirmed everything that happened in the house in Culver City and even added an unexpected twist to the story. Now, this is dependent upon what research you do and which person who's claiming to be one of her sons you listen to. But from what I can figure out through all the murkiness of the Internet, one of her kids did say this. While living in San Bernardino, 
Doris said she was pregnant with the entity's child. And that's all that's said about it. What became of that child remains a mystery to this day as far as I can find. The house in Culver City is still there, and the current owners claim they've never witnessed anything strange. And again, depending on which source you look at online, Doris either died in California in 95 of pulmonary arrest, or in Texas in 1996 of pulmonary disease, but most seem to say that she died either in 2002 in California or 2006 in California of pancreatic cancer. So it does seem that sadly Doris has since passed away. And again, I'm more interested in knowing what happened to that child. And as for Taft, the man who investigated this case originally, well, he says, Contrary to what many people believe, the case of Doris Bither was not, in my professional opinion, the result of spectral rape, a.k.a. spectrophilia, but a rather disturbingly real poltergeist outbreak. Unfortunately, the amassed data on the case does not in any way support ghostly sex, but back in the mid-1970s, in my mid-20s, such a notion was intriguing to say the least. And who knew that ghost rape has a technical term? Spectrophilia is a sexual attraction to ghosts or a sexual arousal from images in mirrors but it is also the phenomena of sexual encounters between ghosts and humans. So, whether or not you believe the entity story, here you go. Hopefully you learned a little something. I don't know how you're going to use that in everyday conversation, but spectrophilia, there's your word of the day. And like I said at the beginning of this edition, they made a movie about this called The Entity, starring Barbara Hershey. It's from 1982. It is definitely worth the watch. And if you want to know what I think about it and what my first guest, Mickey, thinks about it, as well as his co-host, Jess, thinks about it, you're going to have to listen to Video Vampire's newest episode, which also came out today. So, personally, once you're done with this one, I think you should jump over to Video Vampire's and listen to that episode. And while you're there, make sure you click like and subscribe on Video Vampire's. They are the most knowledgeable people I've ever met or heard about horror movies. These guys know everything. And it was really cool to sit and watch a movie with them and then talk about it afterwards, especially a movie based on a true paranormal story or at least a true supposed paranormal story. So here comes the question you've all been waiting for. What do you guys think? Was Doris ghost raped or was she the cause of all the paranormal activity? Do you think it was a poltergeist kind of effect that she was emanating? And probably most importantly... Did she have the entity's baby? And if so, what the hell is that kid? I want to talk to that kid. I want him on the show. Maybe not in person, but definitely via Skype. So thanks for listening, and a special shout-out to a listener, Brian. Happy belated birthday. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you all for listening as well. Please head on over to iTunes, click like and subscribe, leave us a review. Even if you don't like the show, put a review up there. I'd prefer a good one, but whatever you gotta do. Make sure you tell your friends and family about this show. Once again, I am your host, Kurt Sandig, and this has been another special edition of Video Vampires slash Paranormal Almanac. <laughs>